0: Welcome to the Lion's Den University Report. This program brings you a behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. My guest for this broadcast, as well as the previous broadcast, Dr. James Tour of Rice University, which is down in Houston, Texas. He's here to speak at the conference. And uh, Jim, again, welcome to our microphones. Thank you. And you're speaking here at the Conference on Science and Faith. What are you speaking about? Tell us a little bit about the talk uh, that you'll be giving.
1: I'll be speaking on the mystery of the origin of life and to show you how scientists are utterly clueless on how life came about. Life should not exist. And the the lifelessness that we see on other planets is exactly what we should expect when you look at the chemistry behind life. Uh, Uh... all of life has to come from some non-life if, what we, if, if, if we believe what is taught to us. And if that be the case, then how do we take simple chemicals and, and make the elements that we need, the compounds that we need to, to have life? So we have to have proteins, we have to have nucleic acids, we have to have carbohydrates, and we have to have lipids. And all of these structures all of these structures are complex organic structures, and we have to be able to make all four classes of these. And generally, if you have a a diacyl lipid, that is a chiral molecule. All, All of these are chiral, meaning they're They have handedness to them. They are one mirror image and not the other. Very hard chemistry to envision, very hard chemistry to do, even in a modern laboratory to make these. But to think of how this could come about on a prebiotic Earth, before biology, very hard to fathom. And so everybody is clueless. And the problem is that most people think scientists understand. And I am here to say scientists do not understand. Mm. And that's why when I say this so emphatically to their face, they don't argue with me. Because they don't understand. Because all I have to do is say, show me. Show me the chemistry. Show me the mechanism. It's not there. That's what I'm here to testify of.
0: Right. And you're a chemist and dealing with chemistry at the molecular level. And you see that uh, these processes that we've been, you know, the average person is taught about evolution and how the primordial soup or other varieties of uh, explanations of how life began. And you're saying uh, that uh, from an understanding of the chemistry, it's impossible.
1: It's impossible just looking at the chemistry. And it's not just making the four classes of compounds. People will say, oh well we have amino acids. Well they weren't chiral. And then how do you hook those amino acids up? How do you cause them to hook up together? They don't just do that. If you build an amino acid Uh, uh, synthesizer, a protein synthesizer, you have many, many protection, deprotection steps to go through in order to do this sort of thing. How do you do this on a prebiotic earth? The same thing with the nucleic acids. The same thing with the sugars. I mean, it's highly complex. And then you have the entire assembly problem. How do you have all of those assembled? So a lot of what we do in our laboratory is nanotechnology where we build nanosystems. How do you take now molecular constructs <clears throat> how do you take molecular constructs and build them into the features that you see in a cell? It's very hard to envision how to do that. And and so you have to now assemble these into a higher order structure. Nothing is known about this. Even just hooking together simple carbohydrates to make the structures that you need is exceedingly difficult. If you just have six carbohydrates of all the same carbohydrate structure, you can hook those together in over one trillion different ways. If you have the wrong one, a cell will never operate. How do you do that?
0: Mm.
1: And so you have this this entire assembly problem. People will say, oh, people have made protocells. They have not. They have made vesicles. They have made lipid bilayer vesicles. That is not a protocell. Has almost nothing to do with a cell. A a protocell would really have to have the two lipid sides. The two lipid sides have to be different in their constitution you have to have proteins you have to have ionophores moving in and out of those you have to have a whole display a vast display of carbohydrates hooked together in the right order displaying from that and then all of the organelles inside that have to have their own constitution of lipid bilayer no one's ever made a protocell no one's created life and that's the problem people think scientists have done it they've taken the the gene sequence they've taken the the code the genes the genome from one cell and put it into another, and people say they have created life. They have not. If I have one car, and I take the little computer box out of one car, and I put it into a different car, That doesn't mean I made the car. I just took one piece and I put it in another. Right. We are so far from making life. And the problem is that most people think that scientists have made life so much so that even professors themselves think that scientists have made this. It's not that they're lying. They themselves, if they're not exactly in that area, they themselves are confused about this thing.
0: Sure. And uh, one scientist said to me, uh, he said... uh, Uh, The average person sees the design in nature, the complexity that speaks of a a designer, and uh, you have to be educated out of it, okay, that the educational system is basically programming people to believe the impossible is true, and uh, probably because there's a spiritual war going on in the the world, and uh, Satan would love people to not be able to believe, as some have said, the first page of the Bible, uh, how can you believe the rest of it? And, but you say, as, as a chemist, uh, highly credentialed and uh, proficient in your field, uh, that uh, people have been misled.
1: Yeah, I, I, as, a, as a Christian, I believe that, that, that everything has been created by God. He made the heavens and the earth, and all things have been created through Jesus Christ. We have no assessment method as chemists to assess intelligent design. So that's not what I come with because we don't have a tool for that. I hold myself to the same tools that I hold my colleagues to use. So we don't even have a tool for that. All I do is I come and I break down their strongholds by showing that they have no evidence that these things could spontaneously arise. Not only do they have no evidence, they have no proposal on how this would happen. They are so utterly clueless. As scientists, using all the tools we have, we are so clueless. And I just allow that thing to come crumbling down. We don't have a tool for intelligent design. All I have to do is break this thing down and people go, whoa, what is this? I mean, just, just, uh, uh, just a few weeks ago, I was in a medical center speaking and I got done I mentioned nothing of intelligent design because if I mention intelligent design they dismiss me. Right. So so I don't even mention it. I just just pull down the strongholds both of origin of life and of evolution. And then the, the chair of the department of, of neuroscience and anatomy said, So this has been put together by some designer. And I said, Well you can say that. You can <laughs> say that. I'm not gonna say that because as soon as I say that I'll be dismissed. Right. But if you want to say that, go ahead. All I have to do is pull down their stronghold, and then the obvious comes forth.
0: Sure, sure. And really, the Bible says it's obvious to everyone. I mean, it doesn't take... uh a proficient scientist to see the design of God in nature and to see the handiwork of God and to realize it is not an accident uh, and the brain that you use to look at nature uh, is so highly complex uh, to ascribe it to just uh, random accidental processes uh, is counterintuitive but we've been uh, again uh, trained and uh, we don't find professors in universities coming out saying God made us uh, you know when they do uh, we had Philip uh, Bishop uh, in uh, physiology at the University of Alabama, and when he was first a professor there, he started uh, including one class on how human physiology uh, shows the evidence for God, and uh, he got reprimanded for that. And uh, but uh, after four years, he was such a great professor, uh, he sued the university over that, and they finally said that he he could only share that information in a particular time and place agreed to by the university. So you know, freedom of speech is out the window, but uh, they never. Uh, challenged his qualifications and he was promoted and got a raise in the middle of suing uh, the University of Alabama and God has used him in a mighty way but he doesn't use that lecture in the United States in foreign countries they have more freedom of speech actually than uh, than here to be able to go farther than just giving uh, scientific evidences but the average person uh, is going to be held responsible to know that God exists aren't they in the scriptures doesn't it uh, teach that they will be without excuse
1: the scriptures teach us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This will happen. So what the future holds is quite different. My task is just I'm going out and looking at the scientific evidence. I never use the Bible to show that, that uh, um, God exists in my classroom. I don't do that. I teach at a secular university. What I do on these sorts of lectures is I just talk about how clueless we are. We have no idea. All I have to do is show the science, show what we understand and what we don't understand. And then people say, well, one day we might. And I concede, one day we might see how all these things come together. But we are so far from that today. And so to project as if we know is wrong. And it's the same on evolution, evolution of a complex system. You know, Evolution is a very slippery term because we can do directed evolution in the laboratory where we go through these cycles over and over again. But you show me examples of evolution of a complex system where one system morphs into a totally new system. And the thing that people always will present you with is they'll present you with the immune system. Lots of papers on the immune system where the immune system morphs based on what's presented to it. And I agree, it does, but I've never seen an immune system change into a digestive system or an optical system or an auditory system. It remains the system that it is. Right. Not only do we not see it, all I ask them is show me a proposal on how it might happen. You don't even have to show me where it happened. Just show me a proposal on how it happened. Use, show me the chemistry on how this would take place. And they cannot... They cannot. So for people to say that evolution is a fact, remember, that's a slippery term. What do you mean by evolution? Right. If we're talking about changes so that you get advancement into a new system, we are clueless on how that could ever take place. Right. So, so this is all I do is I just present the holes and the problems in the science and I let mm-hmm. science critique science. I never use the Bible to critique the science.
0: And so uh, the Bible terms, though, might uh, be the idea that God made kinds, that there are limits to these kinds uh, in uh, nature that we see around us. And there is adaptation, but there are specific boundaries of kinds that uh, God has
1: made. Yeah, it's hard to know what kinds means. So, for example, in some plants, you can have a spontaneous doubling of the genome for for. for for reasons that are not well understood, if you have a doubling of the genome, you actually have a new species, so even this view that 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 uh, um, that some people hold well we we don 't see new species fundamentally, if you have a doubling of a genome, you have a new species so uh, um, so I want to be careful about even using those terms i yeah. I have to be more careful than than most people do because i 'm going right at the scientists using their science. Sure. And now you said that
0: you teach the Bible study, and I believe you shared uh, last uh, interview uh, that you had 150 uh, students and others in your Bible study that you teach every week. And how do you recruit uh, people for that Bible study? How do they find out about it?
1: Well, uh, it's mostly word of mouth. Um, uh, student, students hear from other students and other people there. Uh, we do put an ad in the in the school newspaper um, uh, for the first four weeks of, of of each year. Great, but I've I've asked I've asked people how many people are here because they read the ad in the paper, and I get almost none. Mm-hmm. Most people have never even seen the ad in the paper. So I'm right. not sure how effective it is. Uh, we still do it out, out, of, out of habit, but I'm not sure that students read newspapers anymore. Even though the school newspaper is online, there's, there's, students are reading other things. So I, I rely on word of mouth, meaning Snapchat.
0: Right. Okay, great. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you on our program on the Lion's Den University Report. Uh, you can uh, get copies of this interview or any of our interviews on a CD format if you contact us through the address of my announcer in a few moments. But we're glad to have had uh, Dr. James Tour, a Professor of Chemistry at Rice University in Houston, Texas, and we're here in Dallas at the Conference of Science and Faith. And Jim, thanks for joining us. Thank you. You have been listening to the Lion's Den University Reports. If you would like more information about the Christian life or would like to contact the Lion's Den or one of the guests, please write us at the Lion's Den, Post Office Box 226, Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, 17844, or email ltcldur at yahoo.com.